decent payment for her sin. Now her life must end. But Jesus said, let he who is innocent cast your stone today. I wasn't there to see her face, but I can almost hear her say, Merciful to me when I deserve to die. Merciful to me, my soul he brought new payment for my sin, eternal fire and more. But Jesus said, I have an announcement I'd like to make today. You see, I have the scars to prove that I've taken this one's place. Merciful to me when I deserve to die. Merciful to me, my soul he brought new life. Nothing could I bring my dead to satisfy. Let's try it now. Is that working? Hello? Hello? Put it both ways. Oh, there it's starting to come up. There we go. All right. Now we're talking. For a second there, I thought maybe I made my first mistake of this year. <laughs> Glad it wasn't me. All right, praise the Lord for that. Okay. All right, let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. 1 Samuel, chapter 16. 
In honor of Halloween, I've brought my knight to the pulpit. I'm joking. Some of you just went, I can't believe he said the word Halloween in church. It's okay. We're all right. We don't, you know, you know we're not going to go there. But anyway, we know what that represents, don't we? I'm just kind of trying to make it light because I know most of you went out to Halloween trick-or-treating yesterday. And I, I hope you came home with a big bundle of candy if you did, okay? Remember how it used to be when you went trick-or-treating as a kid and your parents would check everything for razor blades? Remember how that was, seriously? Because nothing was packaged. Remember, there's so little packaged stuff. They'd give you apples, and they'd all give you all kinds of things like that. And your parents would have to check things. You know, they'd cut the apple open, see if there's a razor in it and all that. I never ate the apples. It just, I, I just wasn't, I was, I wasn't big about all that stuff. Especially in COVID land now, COVID right now, you certainly wouldn't want to eat an apple everybody touched, right? Well, I probably, well, now I probably would, but in those days I wouldn't have. Nonetheless, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. You know, in verse 5, we're going to see that Samuel obeyed the Lord. We know that Saul had really rebelled against the Lord in a sense, that he had neglected to obey the Lord. As a result of that, God is kind of done with Saul. Again, it doesn't mean that Saul couldn't have repented. It doesn't mean that Saul couldn't have got some things straight, but there's much more at stake here. And again, we're not talking about his soul. We're talking about his position. You know, when God gives you a position, when God gives you a place to serve, that's serious business. We need to be very careful that we don't do something outside of the sphere of influence that God has given us. Can I be very clear? In a church like this, where maybe you've been given an opportunity to be a Sunday school teacher or a bus worker or possibly in the choir, if you have a sphere of responsibility, you don't need to supersede that responsibility, but you also have to maintain that responsibility. You don't do any less than you should be doing, but you don't really do more than you're asked to do to a degree. Now, again, I'm not talking about doing better at what you do. I'm talking about don't you change the rules until you've been told to change them. Again, that goes against everything in our culture and our society today. Because, see, what the, the world's trying to tell you today is you're an individual. You do whatever you want. Nobody has a right to judge you. You don't have to obey authority. You don't have to obey people in leadership. You just do whatever feels good, whatever you think is best. And it'll be justified in your own eyes and should be justified in everybody else's. Now you say, why are you saying all that? I don't know. It has nothing to do with the message, but I thought I'd throw it in for free. So in 1 Samuel, we see that Samuel now is going to obey. Saul had messed up. God is done with Saul. He's looking for another king now. And so we find in verse 5 that the Bible says that he sanctified Jesse and his sons and he called them to the sacrifice. That's exactly what God intended him to do. He went out and he did just that. We pick up in verse 6 now and we read the rest of the story. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. 
For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him to pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shema to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I just want to point out very quickly, you'll notice something interesting in verse 13. He says here that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now I think that's interesting and it's not the message, but can I tell you that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God did not indwell man or, or, or uh, men or women. What he did is he came upon them so that they could accomplish specific roles or responsibilities that God had for them. Now we notice in David's case, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and it continued as he went forward in life. You know what? You say, well, I don't quite understand that. What are you trying to tell me about the Old and the New Testament? It's different. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a person and could and would leave them. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon us at salvation and he literally indwells us the Bible says that he seals us into the day of redemption. The fact is, is that once you receive the Holy Spirit through the new birth, you are sealed into the day of redemption and you never, ever lose him. Amen. Now we know that David was concerned about this issue. Why? Because he tells us in the book of Psalm, chapter 51, he tells us that he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He had been in a real mess. He had allowed his life to spiral downhill. He had made some bad decisions, and he'd gotten into sin, and then he cries out to God as he asks for forgiveness, and he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, the Holy Spirit could have left him at some point. But can I tell you, you don't have to be concerned about that. He'll be in you and with you always. What a wonderful thing to live in the time we live in. David would go on to be a great king. We all know that. If you've been in church at all, if you've ever graced the, uh, the church house, if you've ever opened a Bible, if you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, you know that David ultimately becomes a tremendous and wonderful and amazing king. He's actually the king by which others will be judged by. But our message isn't really about David or his life today. Instead, I want to focus our attention on verse 7. Notice what it says in verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Eliab obviously was a 
a well-put-together guy. He obviously, not only was he a warrior, but he must have looked the part. I mean, if you wanted to choose a king, Eliab would have obviously been the king. Eliab had the look. Eliab had the body. Eliab had the, probably the intellect. Eliab had a lot of what we would say, humanistically, humanistically speaking, made a perfect king. But remember, if you would, Saul looked like a perfect king to the people too. Remember, he stood a head taller than all the others. Remember, Saul, he was chosen and based on how he appeared and how he looked. And God had reminded the people and told them and warned them even, you're not going to like him. He's going to be a ripoff. And he was a ripoff. And now God is anointing another king. And Eliab steps up to the plate and Samuel says, surely this is him. This is God's anointed. And God says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now the passage points out that there is a distinct difference as to how God views a man and how other men view men. There's a distinct difference about how God sees humanity and how you and I see humanity. See, God sees folks differently than you and I see them. Now, each of us kind of views people differently also based on our abilities. For instance, man is limited in his ability, and therefore, the Bible tells us we can only see the outward then. We are limited as to what we can and cannot see, the Bible says. Whereas God has no limitations, and therefore, he can see to the very heart. Someone says, well, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. No, you don't. No, you don't. You, you, you don't. You say... You don't know what I do and what I don't do. Who are you to tell me what I do? It's not me. It's the Bible. God's Word just told us that God sees things different than mankind does. Brother Don, one of our Sunday school teachers, you there at the passage, chapter 6, verse 7, 16, verse 7? Would you read that for us real loud, as loud as you can? of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now let me ask you, did I just say that? Did Don just say that? Who just said that? God said that. Well, I look at the heart, preacher. I look past all that. No, you don't. You and I see mankind the same way every other human being does. We can only see the exterior. We can only see the outward. We can't see the inward. And if you think you know a person, it's based on what you have seen. It's based on what you've heard, possibly. But it is not the fact you have never seen their heart. Never, never, never have you seen their heart. You know what, we wonder why in the world it seems that we, we hear about a mass murderer and then you'll find people in the neighborhood that will say, he seemed like such a nice guy. Yeah. You want to know why? Because we only see the outward. Right. We, we only see the outward. Nice guy, 
And you got 33 deaths out of, you know, what? How'd that happen? Because, see, we never did see his heart. We didn't know who he was. We only saw what he appeared to be. Because, see, we are limited in our finiteness. We do not see man the way God does. We can't see the heart. We only see the outward. And you know what? That's true with you. That's true with me. And you know what? You can pretend to be a bleeding heart. You can pretend that you see people different than everybody else and that you're so above us because you can see the heart. You can't see the heart and neither can I. Unless God's a liar. And God ain't no liar. God's word's always true. We struggle as human beings. We only see the outward. But God's he looketh on the heart, it says. So see, we have very different viewpoints from God. It's very simple. It's obvious here. And as the passage puts it, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And again, there are people that are more sensitive to the heart of men, the heart of women than others. There's no doubt. They work extremely hard to look past the outward and to look on the inward, to try to give humanity the benefit of the doubt, to try to somehow say, you know what, I know that they don't always do the right thing, but I know they got a good heart. And you know what? I hope that's true. But you don't know, and neither do I, the reality. We, we don't know for sure what they are inside versus outside. We don't know their motives. We don't know their thought process. We don't know their thinking, their feeling. We don't know those things. We can't say that. We, we can look at the outward and come to some conclusions. And some people are a little more critical and cynical than others. We get that. But when it's all said and done, man looketh on the outward. God looketh on the heart. Uh, that's, that's important to understand. Because what that's implying is that God sees the very recesses of our being that he knows our thoughts, he knows our feelings. God looketh on the heart. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, the Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. The Bible's telling us that God literally searches our heart. By the way, can I just tell you that it doesn't matter whether or not you give him permission to search your heart, he's searching it. We better get to the reality and understand the truth that God is seeing us differently than we do. When we walk through a, down the street, when we are in our own home, when we're dealing with our family, God's seeing us inside, not just outside. It's not just what we put on. It's not just what we present. It's what we are that God sees. He sees us inside. He searches the heart. Whether we want him to or not, he is. Well, I haven't given God permission to search my heart. I'm hiding some things. He sees them. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I don't know about you, but this is alarming to me. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I get a little uncomfortable with people like checking out all the personal stuff in my life. I mean, can you imagine if your heart was open for business and everybody could see every thought you've ever had? God does. You say, well, I'm a good person. Are you? What would God say? Well, I do good things for people and I'm always in church. And that's fine, but God doesn't just see the outward. He sees the, that's right, the inward. 
Notice what he says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. God can look deep within us, and God sees us for who and what we really are. He understands our intentions. He knows what our motivation is. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man, excuse me, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. How many times have we convinced ourselves that we're right when in reality our heart would deceive us if it was opened up? We convince ourselves that what we're doing is truly godly. We convince ourselves that it's something that would please the Lord. We convince ourselves that it's the way of, uh, that we ought to go when in reality, if we really, really, really were honest, we might even say, uh, it was just self-serving. It was convenient. God's going, I already knew that. I see the heart. I already knew that. I've searched it out. I already know that. I've pondered your heart. I've spent some time looking into the subject. Psalm 44, 21, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. (laughs) Again, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're a better person than me. But that bothers me a little bit. That concerns me a little bit. When I think about that, it makes me say, Whoo, put the brakes on, Mark. You better think it through next time. It's not just what you're doing now that matters. It's what you're thinking. It's what you've become, what you're becoming. That's important because God's not looking on the outward as man does. God is looking on the inward. So what is the condition of the human heart? You say, I got that one. Yeah, I know we all should. But let me just quickly share a few verses. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. Ecclesiastes 9.3 goes on to say, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness. It's full of evil. Well, my heart isn't. Okay. And I hope not. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. I hope not. I really do. Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, let me just share a portion of it. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Isn't that something? Out of the heart. And God sees it all. In Proverbs 6.14, the Bible says, Frowardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. Do you want to know where every church split starts? In the heart. Do you know where every marriage split starts? In the heart. Because, see, this heart, it deviseth mischief continually. It soweth discord. Selfishness is a terrible thing. And it, it runs rampant within us if we allow it. We've got to be so careful. This froward heart devises mischief continually, and it will sow discord. So we learn that God looks upon the heart of mankind and that it's not a very pretty sight either. But can I tell you that the new birth ultimately provides us with a new heart in the sense that when we experience the new birth, we get the new man. 
And with that new man, we have the privilege and the opportunity of a new heart, so to speak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, turn there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You know, I think if we would have polled every one of you as you walked in the door today and said, do you think God can read your mind? I think everybody would have said yes. Do you think God knows your heart? You'd probably say, yeah. But when you really stop, slow down and think about that, that's a sobering thought. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Colossians 3, 10, it says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Man, when we come to Christ as our Savior and Lord, he literally indwells us. He lives in us. We have the new man. We often say it, or I'll say it from time to time. Ladies, every one of you has a man living inside of you. I can see why you're so conflicted. (laughs) Not really, obviously. But you do. You have a man living in you, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. Christ lives in me. He lives in you if you know him as Savior and Lord. Can I tell you? The truth is, is that only you really know whether you do or don't. I can't tell you whether you know Christ or not. I can look at the outward and see evidence of Christ in your life, but I can't say for sure that he's in your heart because I can't see your heart. You can't see mine, really. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I understand that that's prophetical. I know that it's pointing to Israel one day. I get that, but can I tell you in principle, you get the new man, you can have a new heart. You don't have to allow the flesh to dictate and determine your out, the outcomes of life any longer. So we see here the condition of the human heart. We note that the new birth instills, in a sense, the opportunity to have a new heart. And then the, the believer, what we come to, the conclusion is that the believer, as a believer, we have a choice then as to what kind of heart we're going to have, whether pure or evil. That's a decision we make then. Now we know that God, he looketh on the heart. Man looketh on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Here's the thing. What kind of heart do you have then? What does God see when he looks at your heart? Because that's how he sees you. He doesn't see you from this. He sees you in here. He sees me in here. But can I tell you, it's your decision now. You know, we often look at Lamentations 3.51. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51. Lamentation. If you get near Jeremiah, you are close. I mean, you are hot. You ever play that game, hot or cold, you know? Oh, you're getting colder, 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 hotter, warmer, 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 hot, hot, hot. Remember that game? You don't? Okay, whatever. All right. I was a normal kid. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Nonetheless, Lamentations 351. Notice what it says. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. 
We know that Jeremiah is viewing a city that is decimated. We know that Jeremiah recognizes a a nation that has rebelled against God, that has even accepted idolatry, that ultimately sees the wrath of God being poured out upon it. And he looks over the city and he looks over the people of God and he says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. He sees the devastation and he can't help but weep over the city. He can't help but weep over the people and weep over his nation. His eye affecteth his heart. You know, we associate the passage often with missions. And if you want to get a heart for people around the world, go to the mission field and see the plight of the people around the world and you'll have a heart for them and you'll want to give. Because we know that our hearts are tied to our pocketbooks and our wallets. I mean, advertisers know this. It's why that you'll see pictures of starving children on television commercials is if they can affect your heart through your eyes, see, they'll reach your wallet. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's a reality. It's a biblical truth. They're just, they're just capitalizing on a biblical truth. We do the same thing in missions conferences, right? We put up pictures of folks around the world, and we say, look at the need. Your eye affects your heart, and it ultimately reaches your wallets. It's true for all of us. But can I tell you that it's not just missions conferences, it's not just to motivate for soul winning, it's not just so that you will meet the needs and the lives of others. This principle is true not just in those areas, but in every aspect of your life. For instance, it's, it affects us. My eye affects my heart. That can be positive. That could be negative. Right? It only makes sense. It can affect your heart positively. It can affect your heart negatively. So the kind of heart that you will be, that you will have is largely dependent upon what you look upon, what you view, what you focus on. So you need to be careful what you look at then. You need to be careful what you listen to. Because why? Because your eye affecteth your heart. Because what goes in ultimately affects what's inside. What goes, what, what, what goes in goes somewhere. And can I tell you that that somewhere is the heart. Now I want you to look at James chapter 4 verse 8 please. James chapter 4, verse 8. This is an amazing passage, really. James chapter 4, verse 8. This is what the Bible says here. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, here's something that we are very guilty of, I believe, in Christianity. We are guilty of shirking our responsibility toward God. You know, what do you mean? Well, for instance, if I said, you know, we're quick to say things like, you know what? He has a responsibility. He needs to take responsibility for his actions. He needs to take responsibility for his life. He needs to take responsibility for his home. And I'd say to you, you're correct. That's true. 
But can I tell you that you need to take responsibility according to the passage for whether or not you have a pure heart or not? You know, we get this idea, we're, we're quick about this, we're quick, oh, it's up to God. God, please cleanse my heart. Oh, God, please, when you, oh, please change me. Oh, Lord, help me with this lust problem. Oh, Lord, help me with this and help me with that. It's up to you, Lord. You're going to change me, aren't you? Won't you change me, God? Won't you do a different, uh, change my life like that? It's up to you, God. It's not up to God. It's not up to God, whether you have a pure heart or not. That's up to you. You say, uh-uh, I don't believe it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, let's read the passage again. He says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Guess what? If you want God close to you, you better make the first step. You need to draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Hey, listen, if you know Christ is your savior today, my friend, you have every tool in the toolbox. You have every, every, everything you need to succeed in the Christian life. Too many times we're blaming God for our failures when in reality they are a direct result of our being irresponsible with what he's given us. He says right in the passage here, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. You know what? I'm putting a, an, a, another garage on the house. I'm putting, building a garage. Can I tell you we've had a lot of fill dirt come in. We've had a lot of piles of stuff hanging around, whether it be rock or fill or whatever it might be. And there's shovels laying all around. Can I tell you that stuff is not going to move until I pick the shovel up and start moving it? Now, the tools are right there. Everything's at my disposal. I have the health. I have the ability. I've been given the opportunity. I've got everything that's necessary and needful. But can I tell you, if I'm waiting on God to move that dirt, it'll never move. And the truth is, it's too many times we're waiting on God to do the work. When in reality, he said, I've provided you with every tool necessary to get the job done. It's up to you. And he says right here in the passage, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Oh, aren't you going to cleanse my hands, Lord? I've already provided that for you. Now it's up to you to appropriate it. What are you going to do about it, he's saying. And he goes on to even say this. He says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So wait, whose responsibility is, according to the scripture then, to purify our hearts? It's not God's, it's ours. He's telling us to purify our hearts. See, God's given us the ability and the opportunity and all the tools necessary. He's just saying, now what are you going to do with them? We are so quick to shirk our responsibility. Well, when God takes away this lust out of my life, then I'll get right with him. Sorry. He ain't going to do that. It's up to you. You know what you mean to do? The eye affecteth the heart. See, you don't, you better be careful what you're looking at, friend. You better watch what you're listening to. That's up to you. That's a decision you make. God's not going to tell you, you ain't going to watch that show. You're not going to get to look at that on your phone. You can't turn that, you, you turn that off right now. He may tell you, but it's up to you whether you'll turn it off or not. I just can't understand it, this lust in my life, it's burning in my heart. Yeah, because you keep feeding it. Well, when God changes me, I'll be changed. No, you're going to wait a long time, friend. You better pick the shovel up and start getting to work. Oh, well, I trust God. I don't trust myself or man. You're a hypocrite. Go ahead. So you just want to blame God for all your failures. That's what you just told me. 
I'm good at blaming people too, by the way. You talk to my wife, she'll tell you. We're all good at that. But I'm going to tell you what, if we're going to be the Christian we're supposed to be, then we're going to have to take responsibility for some things. And I say all that for a reason, because now I want to get to the message. And I did something very, very wise. My illustration is wrapped in plastic this time. This morning it was not wrapped in plastic, and I'm telling you, the guys came up to sing and they were gagging up here. And, and when I was in the back, I was taking off all the excess off this baby, this onion, and man, I was over there, I was crying like a baby. The staff thought I was like in the spirit. I'm like, man, look at him, man, he's so close to God right now. His heart's broken for souls. No, I was just bawling like a baby trying to cut this thing open. And right now, it's just like hitting me like a ton of bricks. My eyes are starting to get burning again, you know, and I'm starting to, it's just, it's happening. So we're going to kind of move along here. Now watch, we got this onion. Interesting thing about an onion, I have to touch it. Okay, so an onion. Interesting thing, it's all white, we see that, it's clear as crystal, so so to speak. I mean, it's, it's just white as white can be, look at that thing. You know, there's nothing about it here, it's pretty clear. It's obvious on the outside, look at it, consistent. Consistent on the outside, but hold on. It's something interesting about this old onion. Oh, boy, look at that. I feel like I should be on a cooking show. Oh, get that off there before it takes the finish off. Here we go. Let me get this to this thing. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I don't have fingernails like that, so here we go. Oh, this one's harder than the last one. Oh, there we go. Pulling that thing right off there. Look at that, just pulling that right off there. Whew, layer after layer. Oh, look at that. Interesting, look at that. I just took a layer off, but it's it's exact same. It looks the same way as this does out here. It's the exact same. That's amazing to me. I, I don't know about you, but that's kind of interesting. Layer after layer after layer, an onion is the same. There's no difference. If I keep pulling layers off, you know what you're going to find? It's going to look the same, whether, no matter how deep into the onion you get. As a matter of fact, to prove that point, let's cut it right in half, and there we go. Look at that. It is the same through and through. It's the same through and through. I'm going to tell you something today, that that's exactly what God's looking for in your life and in mine. He's looking for Christians that are the same through and through. We need to be onion Christians then is what I'm saying, I guess. We should be Christ-like on the inside as well as the outside. Oh, it's easy to put a tie on. It's easy to look apart. It's easy to pretend to be something. But my friend, the real key is the inward. The real key is the heart today. And God wants us to be onion Christians the same through and through. We spend a lot of time making the outside look beautiful, trying to work it up, make it look good, but I wonder how much time do we spend on the inside? I mean, you think about uh, all these products that are out there, hair care products and makeups and all the things that we wear, even guys today have to be comfortable in their own skin. Well, what's that all about? Tell you what it's about. It's about an industry that's trying to make a lot of money on you trying to look good on the outside. And can I tell you, although I think you ought to try to look good on the outside to some degree or another, I don't want you to come here and do nothing with the outside. It'd scare the life out of me. I think it was Halloween every week. (laughs) The fact is, is that you need to be the same through and through. You need to focus a little more attention, and so do I, on the inside. Look at what the Bible says. Turn to Matthew 23, please. 
I wonder if you've ever met someone at work, school, or even church, and you smiled and said, hi. But inside you were thinking, boy, they're really dumb. <laughs> right? Come on now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, think about that for a minute. God wants us to be through and through. Matthew 23, notice this. Verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Huh. What are they focusing on? The outside of the cup and the platter. But inside, it's a totally different story. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Wait a second now. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he is prioritizing something for us. Notice the priority. The priority is not the outward. The priority is the inward. God is saying you need to focus on the inside before you focus on the outside because if you get the inside clean, the outside will look fine. See, the Pharisees were good about looking good on the outside but not on the inside. And you say, well, at least I'm not a Pharisee. Don't ask me if I am sometimes. Are we going to be honest here, or are we going to pretend? Verse 27, he goes on to say, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Can you imagine can you imagine we go to the, to the graveyard today and we dig up a, a casket? Man, that casket is beautiful. We wipe the dirt off and, I mean, it's shiny now. We've cleaned it all up and it looks wonderful on the outside. Don't eat that. There is a five-second rule around here, but I wouldn't suggest it. And so we have that... I've lost my train of thought. But we have that uh, casket. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it's called. Isn't that terrible? It's an inward problem. But anyway, a casket. And it looks gorgeous. It's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It looks like it was extremely expensive. And we are in awe of it as we look at it. Wow. And then we open it up. What do we find? A decaying body. Disgusting. Shut it, please shut it, it's disgusting. And Jesus is saying, you, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, man, you really look good on the outside, and you present real well, but on the inside you are dead men's bones. Because you go around trying to make the outside look so good, but on the inside you're rotting away. You're a hypocrite. I wonder, how much rot does it take to be a hypocrite? I mean, 
Does my whole inside need to be rotted away before I would consider myself to be hypocritical to some degree? I don't know. We say hypocritical to some degree, implying then that you don't have to be totally corrupted, but if there's any portion of it, there's an element of hypocrisy. Can I tell you, God wants us to be Christ-like all the way through and through. Not just the outside. And I commend, I commend you if you're working at that. But, but by the way, can I tell you, the, the world's only going to see the outside, and that's what makes this so difficult. See, you and I can't see the heart, so we see the outside. And the unfortunate part about that is this. I don't have to be clean inside then if what I really care about is how you see me. And you don't have to be clean either if all that matters is how we see you. But this isn't about how we see each other. This is about how God sees us. And the Bible says that man looketh on the outward, but God looketh on the heart. Well, I'm in church. Good for you. Do you want to be here? Well, I mean, I guess. God looketh on the inward. You got me fooled? Yeah. You got your Sunday school class fooled? You got the church fooled as you sing in the choir? Maybe, but you ain't got God fooled, and neither do I. And he says the priority in your life ought to be this right here, the heart. So, what should our prayer be? Turn to Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. So here's the prayer, maybe. And again, you could find other scriptures that would make great prayers for this. But let me just share this one that I think has been massive in my own life, huge in my own life. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Again, this is good, right? We, we understand a prayer, and that's good. But we already talked about the reality that it's not God's job necessarily at this point, seeing that he's given us the new man, seeing that he's provided us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, seeing that he's given us the word of God and every tool in the toolbox necessary and needful to live a life that pleases him now. It's not just a prayer we need. It's a determination. It's some steps that we must take then if we want to clean the inside up so that it matches the outside maybe. What are those steps? First of all, let me say this. Although God already sees your heart and he doesn't need invited to look at it, you still need to ask God to inspect your heart. You need to come to the place where you ask him to inspect your heart. The Bible says in Psalm 26 too, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. The psalmist says, O God, examine me. O God, look deep in my heart. Make sure my motives are pure. Make sure I'm clean. 
you'll do that, then God will do something for you. He'll reveal areas that you need help in, work in, and need cleaned up. Number two, not only ask God to inspect your heart, but number two, as he reveals our hypocrisy, because that's what it is. Let's stop calling it, well, I'm just a little inconsistent. No, we're hypocrites. We're hypocrites. Let's just be honest. I mean, what we do is we, we, we paint the outside good. We try to, pre, to present ourselves in a way, and then inside we're really not the person that we're... Pre- we all think ourselves or try to pretend ourselves to be a little better than we really are, don't we? So as he reveals our hypocrisy then, what do we do? We confess and repent of it. Acts 8.22, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Pray, he says to God then. What, pray for what? Admit your guilt. Admit your hypocrisy. Admit that area of weakness and say, God, you're right. I'm wrong and I'm turning from it. I, won't, I don't want nothing to do with it anymore. Number three, know that God will forgive and he will rejoice with you then. In Psalm 51, David of Kent, we know that he had come into some difficult times. We talked about it. The fact is, is that he had sinned against God and now he cries out in chapter 51, verse 17, and he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. If we confess our sin, if we repent of it, God won't despise that. He will definitely hear us and he will be pleased with that. And he'll forgive us. And finally, number four, stay close to God and consciously work to keep your heart pure and clean. Remember the, the eye effect of the heart? And then we came across James 4, 8 that says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Stay close to God then and consciously work to keep your heart pure and clean. That means be very careful what you look at. Be very careful what you listen to. It will all affect your heart. And let me tell you, if your heart is corrupted and it is unclean, if your heart, my heart, is not pure, it is not God's fault, it's ours. Because we've allowed things in it that don't belong. We have the new man. Let's be renewed with a new mind, as the Bible says. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's up to us. What God is looking for today is simple. He's looking for a man and a woman that names the name of Christ that is the same through and through. Are you the same through and through? Can you point to any area of your life where there's hypocrisy, where there's inconsistency between how you want to appear to people, how you want to look before the multitudes versus what you really are inside? Is there any inconsistency there? God wants us to be the same through and through. Maybe today you don't know for sure if you died, you'd even go to heaven. You're not even one of God's children yet. 
The Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you've never exercised your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not a child. You're a creation of God, but you're not a child of God. In order to be his child, you simply need to accept what he did for you on Calvary as payment for your sin. Because we already talked about the fact that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Oh, how we need his cleansing. Once you become a child of God, then you have some work to do, though. Keep your heart pure. Do that by drawing nigh to him, by confessing that sin, by staying close and consciously pursuing a clean heart. What are you going to do today? What kind of Christian will you be? Will you be a through and through Christian, an onion Christian? The same at every level, every layer, the same through and through. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love and your grace in our lives. And we understand that without you, we can do nothing. We do understand that. But Lord, you have provided us with the right tools. You've given us exactly what we need to be successful in the Christian life. Oh, we need to pray. Oh, we need to beg you for strength. Yes. But Lord, we can't continue to ask you to change us if we're not willing to change what we allow in our heart. That's futile. It's not consistent. Lord, I, I... It's important that we understand the severity of things. We know that man may see us, women may see us on the outside, the the outward, but you see us in the heart. May we never forget that, and may we be conscious of it continually. And as we look at people, may we pray for their hearts, realizing that as much as we want to believe we know a person, the truth is we can never know 100% what they are in the heart. Only you can. But Lord, help us as believers to show from the outward the inward. May they see us in a light that reflects positively on you. Lord, if there be any without Christ now, may they be saved today even. May they recognize their need of Christ in their life. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The music plays today.